October 29th, 2023. We're continuing in Mesilat Yesharim. We're up to Perekaf, the Mishkal HaChasidut, weighing Hasidut, piety, which we talked about over the course of a long time in Perek Yotet in the 19th chapter. So Hasidut, briefly translated and given just a sentence for a moment, was a description of this above and beyond the letter of the law. It's nothing you wouldn't expect, unless you think about Hasidim as people who wear specific clothing. You understand that the concept of to be a Hasid, and Misilat Yisraelim spent a lot of time explaining and elaborating on many of the facets and features of what it means to be a true Hasid, is to go beyond that which is just requested and obligated of us uh, from the Torah. And now in this Perek, Mesilad Yisharim Ramchal will point out that to be a Hasid takes a lot more than just acting and doing and doing more. It takes a mindset, it takes an appropriate scaling and weighing. I'm okay, thank you, I had too much already. Um, in other words, uh, to act in a way of piety, and it's nothing that we're not already familiar, he even used this word one time through the, the Perek, uh, there's, there's fears of what's called yuhara, there's fears of the way people will perceive it, will be seen as an act of haughtiness, will be seen as an act of setting yourself apart, will be seen as uh, something silly and scornful, etc. As a result, to just talk about Hasidut and to not talk about well, taking into account the consequence and the context and the timing and the society and the surroundings, etc., is amiss and is, is really going to lead people in the wrong direction, says Ramchal. It's for that reason. I can't just address Hasidut. I need to talk about Mishkal HaHasidut in just as an important fashion as well. He writes, That which we need to explain now is, What's the careful weighing of Hasidut? It's not only fundamental, it's very, very fundamental. And that wording is, how often do you see me'od me'od in rabbinic language? Me'od me'od heve shefal ruach. Now that's the reference to being uh, modest and to not uh, having haughtiness in general, as the Mishnah Pekavot. Harambam picks up on that, in fact, in Hilchot De'ot, and he says when it comes to certain character traits, not many, you have to go to an extreme in the opposite direction of that uh, bad and uh, wrongful action. So me'od me'od for me is very sensitive language, says Ramchal, and with the introduction we gave, I hope it's understood already, this is not just a good thing to do, this is absolutely necessary. You can altogether skew something that you believed or thought was positive and turn it into an altogether opposite direction, absolutely negative and evil and wrong. It says, if you thought that Perek Yotet and all the classes and all the conversations we had about it was difficult, this part's even more difficult. Because that fine-tuned analysis because that careful and sensitive eye and heart to the circumstance, circumstance is quite grand and great. And in turn, our inclination, our yeser hara, has a way of skewing our understanding, our perspective, our realizations. As a result, the danger inherent in hasidut, unscaled hasidut, um, not properly weighed Hasidut is very great. Because as a result, the Yeser Hara can lead us in directions where we believe 
I'm being mahmir and I'm doing something which is absolutely appropriate and this is the most important thing for myself and my family without realizing that this is detrimental for one reason or another. And in the opposite direction as well, you can uh, distance yourself from something assuming that it's evil, wrong and negative without being able to wrap your head around the fact that there might be positive based on situation in it. Be'emet, shelo yuchal, and Ramchal will give examples, so just uh, give it a chance. We're speaking theoretically and abstractly, but he'll he'll get into examples, both historically and rabbinically. Be'emet, shelo yuchal ish le'atzliach v'amishkal hazeh ela b'shlosha devarim. There are three principal um, uh, ingredients to doing a proper uh, scaling over here, to weighing this appropriately. First and foremost, what's the intentionality? What's your mindset? Is your mindset one which is serving yourself? Is your mindset one which is serving some other ulterior need or uh, um, goal? Or is it alternatively just to do Nahat Ruach Lefanavit Barach? It's to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu and to fulfill your mission in the most appropriate way. Number two, that you look into and you analyze and think about your actions before and after performance, iyun uh, gadol, not just thinking about it uh, in, in a moment, but giving it more time and analysis and uh, beforehand and afterwards, making certain this was right, both in terms of uh, objective as well as in terms of performance and details and uh, goals and objectives. Vishtadel, and thirdly, vishtadel takenam al he says, you'll fix your actions based on your analysis. And lastly, so the first again is your, your intentionality. The second is thinking it through properly and fixing accordingly. And lastly is to be able to say when all is said and done, uh, in other words, a, a statement about I'm going to do to the best of my capability while at the same time realizing uh, that I have to hand over the last stage in many circumstances and be able to attribute uh, the proper success of this to Si'ata Dishmaya, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's assistance, to the aid of uh, the, the force of existence, to God Himself in my endeavor. She'az ye'amer bo asher adam o'oz lo'bach, lo'yimna tov laholechim b'tamim, the Pasuk describes in Tehillim that a person who has o'oz lo'bach, a person who has that fierce and, and uh, courageous uh, or, or um, purposeful direction in terms of their avodat Hashem, lo yimna tov laholechim b'tamim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu won't prevent goodness from those who are uh, wholeheartedly attempting. Omnam imehad min ha-tina'im However, says Ramchal, if you're missing just one of these conditions, one of these three that we mentioned, and he'll repeat them again once or twice, lo he says, you're not going to become complete, and adraba, quite the opposite, you might alternatively have quite a fall. Dehainu, uh, there could be, or perhaps you have the wrong intentionality, or or alternatively, or in, in addition, you don't have the proper thought and processes of introspection and proper calibration with regards to that action. Or, and then the last of those three conditions, you don't then apply 
and attribute a certain bitachon to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, kashelo shelo yipol. It's difficult that you won't fall. Ach im shloshdam yishmor karaui. However, if each of these three conditions are appropriately safeguarded and protected and fulfilled, temimuta machshava. Again, he repeats it for us. The proper intentionality, iyun, looking into the action, making certain it's right, thinking about it afterwards. Ubitachon, and lastly that trust. As a little simplistic, but I think the point is made. He says, then you'll have success. You won't have negative things come your way. That's the statement of Hana in terms of um, turning to Akadosh Baruch Hu and saying, things do work out oftentimes when those who are doing them are doing them with the right intention and have the right objectives. Um, what's that? The legs of those who are Hasidim to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, God gives protection. V'David k'mochen amar, and similarly in Tehillim, v'lo ya'azov et Hasidav le'olam nishmaru. The pasuk describes how Hakadosh Baruch Hu will never abandon those who are Hasidim. Again, he's focusing on the Hasidut and God's assistance. V'hine, ma shesarich lehavin hu ki en ladun divrei Hasidut al mar ehen harishon ala sarich leayenu litponen ad hechan toledot hamaase magiyot. Says Ramchal, explains Mesilat Yesharim, we have a we have a tendency to just focus on the initial instinctive act. The act appears right. It looks like the right thing to do. We don't have a breadth of vision, a capability of seeing what will be the toledot, the consequences, the outcome of this action. The action looks like a proper one. I have the right intention. I even have the bitachon, but I don't have a full analysis, a full understanding. I'm not thinking about well, what will this cause in terms of uh, reverberations in my own life or the life of others. Sometimes the action appears to be good. It appears to be the right action. However, since the consequences will be negative, it's therefore imperative upon you to abandon it. Person who would perform it would be considered a hoteh, not a hasid. I don't know if that's his example per se, but it might be included. Uh, but alternatively, he's just talking about even your own hasid. Well, what is it going to cause in terms of your own life? Uh, let me, you know, I'm making these examples up as we speak. I don't know the, uh, the particulars of anyone's life. What if a person says, listen, I'm going to dedicate myself to chesed entirely. Kol kuli is in chesed. Uh, but it, that person isn't making an appropriate livelihood, uh, is, uh, isn't bringing in money for their family in the right way. Uh, so they've dedicated themselves, beautiful, it's the greatest thing that a person can accept upon themselves, seeing others instead of seeing themselves, but what's been as a result, the consequence, both for yourself and certainly for your spouse and children, what have you as a result caused? I'm going to, and it's appropriate, and it's beautiful, study Torah as much as I can. Fantastic. That's 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 what we're to a certain extent here for to grow closer in our appreciation, understanding of God and His Word. But what are the consequences based on the times that you've chosen and based on the rest of things that go on in your life, your household, etc.? Those are circumstances, situations where it seems objectively positive. How could anyone make a claim against this? Well, at the same time, and I'm just giving one example to the family, what it can do. It's not to say to abandon it. It's to say, 
there's appropriate steps and ways in terms of engaging in this. We in the school had conversations this past week. There's all sorts of questions now because of all the anti-Semitism on campuses and that which is being felt in the academic world in America. So what's the reaction? What should schools who in which in the past have perhaps been either encouraging or at the very very least uh, helping and aiding in the process of applying to universities uh, outside of Yeshiva University and maybe maybe Turo or something of that sort? What should the approach be? So there's different views and different uh, uh, opinions. Uh, this might be just the rabbis. I can't tell you what the uh, what the board will think and things of that sort. Uh, but uh, my perspective more than anything was that everyone is ten to, ten steps ahead of uh, really thinking this through properly, first and foremost, none of the dust has truly settled. But beyond that, even when the dust does settle, and we've decided, if this is the case, that no college, if that is the vision, and it's, to my mind, not going to be the case, but no college is appropriate in any way, Fred. So then you're just closing it down? Is that an appropriate way? You think you're going to be successful in such a fashion? You're taking something which is decades uh, a reality, and I believe in most circumstances, with the proper intention, it's lishma with regards to many of the people who are involved in the process and those who may be going there. You're going to now just shut it down? That's that's, That's going to be a success? Or there's alternatively going to be all sorts of negative backlash and uh, inappropriate reactions, and it's going to cause only schism and strife uh, and as, as a result of such an action. What I'm saying is I'm far from convinced that is the reaction, but it's just one of the latest circumstances where a rash decision to say, done, finished, A, none of the dust has settled. B, even if it had settled, how are we dealing with other people, with a community of people who have in the past and continuously see things a bit differently than maybe you do, the person who's making this decision. I think more than anything, every decision needs to be in is carefully and systematically saying, you might have the proper intention. You might have kavanatecha resuya. You might have resuyim. You have the proper uh, um, intention, but, uh, but you're not paying attention to the consequences. Oftentimes the consequences can be dire and, and terrible if you haven't properly thought them out. He gives uh, two at least examples, but two examples from Horban Bet Mikdash, the first and second, which is very telling. Many of us are familiar with, uh, we, we fast right after Rosh Hashanah, it's a fast of Gedalia. Who was he and what was his circumstance? Gedalia ben Ahikam could not accept the fact that there was someone after him, that he was threatened with regards to his life. He couldn't accept it as Lashon Hara, speaking negatively about another. Maybe there are circumstances based on a careful and sensitive understanding of your surroundings that you need to accept that. You, you need to hear those words. Umagaram. I mean, imagine as well in Shiduchim if a person's entering into a, a relationship with another but will not, do, will not ask and will not inquire and won't even accept when someone wants to tell them about the boy or the girl that maybe you're going to date them or going to date one of their children. Uh, real piety, but that's hasidut shota. That's a circumstance where your piety is is, is misled. It's the example when he talks about hasid shote, That's the example the hachamim give. If a person, a man, sees a woman drowning, he says, "But I can't touch her. I won't save her." 
to the extent that you're almost considered spilling the blood of that individual, you could say that's a hasid shote, that's an individual because of their piety, is more foolish than pious at all. So the circumstance in turn, it says, is the first Beit HaMikdash, Gidalia ben Ahikam won't accept it. Uma garam, what did he cause? Garam shemetu v'nifziru Yisrael v'kaba gahaltam hanishara. He, ultimately speaking, was assassinated. And any chance that Am Yisrael had to reclaim and to reestablish themselves in Eretz Yisrael with the Mikdash was lost. Ukvar yihasa katuv harigata anashim ashe nehergu elav. And in turn, the Pasuk seems to attribute the death of people during the destruction of the first Mikdash, during the exile from Yerushalayim and Eretz Yisrael, to Gedaliah. Ki'ilu haragamu, as if he's the one who killed them. Uchma amaram zal al Pasuk et kol pigre hanashim asher biyad Gedaliahu, the Pasuk says in Yirmiya. The Pasuk attributes it to him. What's that? It was a Jew who killed him. But again, he wouldn't accept Lashon Arab. Don't know Painting him as, I mean, we, we commemorate his, his life as a first day as because... More than anything, we commemorate... Years, he was totally wrong in the way he acted, and therefore he got killed and the Jews were dispersed and, 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 and therefore not exiled. We're saying, although he was an important person, although he had a certain Hasidut in not accepting this, that Hasidut was misplaced. When we commemorate some Gedalia, it's not an Azkara. We're not thinking about Gedalia. We're right, thinking right, about right. a lost opportunity more right. than anything. Right. Uh-huh. Internal strife. What Misilat Yesharim is, is, is extracting from that is, well, look at how it was caused. It was caused through well-intentioned, wrongfully purposed deeds. So I think that's the intro- Just a second. We always learn it the opposite way. Where another Jew killed a Jew and that caused the destruction. But really, what was the issue that that's, occurred? That's what he's giving, the backdrop. It's an amazing thing, right? Yeah, it's an amazing it. thing. We never stop to think about that side of the matter. We say, uh, I can't believe it. Look at the internal strife, says Mr. Hashem. But pause for a second. Notice as well what gives. You know, we talked about it last week. It's almost, it's almost similar with Noah. Imagine, put yourself in Noah's shoes for a moment, the way the Hachamim, the way the Zohar that we cited last week unsees it. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells you, I'm going to wipe out the world. You are an individual who's steadfast to listening to the word of God. So you just build the ark and you just follow orders. And the Menoah, the Navi describes it as such in the eyes of the, of the Hachmeh, uh, the, the Zohar and others. Uh, so they say it's uh, attributing it to Noah. What do you mean? He saved, he saved himself. He didn't pray for the others. But what do you mean? I was just trying to follow the will of God. Oh, maybe in an ironic and very hard to parse out when yes and when no circumstance. You need a little bit, enter in a bit more, or step out a little bit to fight, so to speak, against HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to have the tefillah in that moment, to alternatively, in the circumstance of Gedaliah ben Ahikam, accept and hear what's being said and act accordingly. He, he attributes it to the second Beit HaMikdash as well. Fantastic. Abraham Avinu, at the beginning of this week's parasha, parashat Vayera, according to one of the two interpretations of Rashi, when he says, Vayomar Adonai, imna masati chen be'enecha, nata avon me'alabdecha. So there's one interpretation is when it says, Adonai, it's Lashon Chol. He's talking to the three angels and he's saying, please, Hold on one second. Alternatively, it's Lashon Kodesh. He's talking to God and saying, God, hold on a second. I want to go greet those guests. The audacity. Seriously? The chutzpah. You're stopping holding God over here in order to go greet others? 
And the Gemara says, Gadol hachnasat orchim yotin mekabalat b'nei ha-shechina. But what was Avraham thinking? He was quick on his feet, says Charles. He was thinking as a Hasid who has a mishkal. He was thinking as a pious person who has scaled and weighed his actions appropriately, who says ironically that by placing God in this moment on the side, so to speak, I'm truly serving him by greeting those guests. And the concept, the idea being that Avraham's vision and understanding was that his avodat Hashem was to extend himself to others. So his relationship with God will be enhanced, not hurt by holding God kivyachol in order to bring in the others. Can you imagine? Can you imagine doing and thinking that way? Can you imagine speaking that way, holding God on the side in order to greet others? But Avraham, who had got into the system so deeply, who understood it properly, was able to say, yes, this doesn't seem right, but the consequences will be dire. If I'm going to leave those people on the side because of my conversation with God, I'm going to be causing detriment instead of something beneficial. I'll be serving myself, so to speak, instead of God through the greeting of those. You can say it's like that he's humble. He's saying like, my service of Hashem is not enough. I need to recruit. I hear you, but don't forget, don't forget, he's got to think external as well. It's God. It's God as opposed to people. But you're right. That's his ultimate vision, his understanding. So that was the first Mikdash. He says, it too was destroyed because of a certain piety which wasn't properly scaled and weighed. It's the famous story Bimaasid Bar Kamsa. Amiru, when all was said and done, and there was an attempt to uh, hurt the Jews, to hurt Am Yisrael at that time, so the monarchy was told, the emperor was told, send an animal to the Jews, you'll see. They won't sacrifice it, if you remember the end of this story. And then the decision was made once the animal was handed off and a blemish was put on it in an unnoticeable uh, way for the non-Jews. But for the Jewish people, the animal now has a blemish on it, has a mum, it can't be sacrificed. What's your decision in this moment? On the one hand, it's a sore for us to sacrifice it. On the other hand, it's going to seem like a rebellion against the kingship. What's the proper decision? How do you act in that moment? Savura banan le The decision initially of the hachamim and the gemara and gitin and dafnun vav is to sacrifice it. We're going to look like rebellious people against the king. He won't understand this. We can explain it. We can show it. He won't be able to wrap his head around that the emperor is going to kill us as a result of not sacrificing. I know it's against halacha, but in this circumstance, we need to do it anyway. If you do so, overthinks, people will learn from this that we can sacrifice, we can bring as a korban, animals with blemishes. So they thought maybe we'll instead kill, uh, we'll instead kill the individual who caused all this. And in turn, nobody will be able to report the circumstance, situation that we didn't sacrifice. People will still see this wrongfully. The vision, the understanding of people will be that if you blemish the animal, you get killed. Ultimately speaking, we were turned in as not bringing that sacrifice. So the person wasn't killed and the animal wasn't brought. The Caesar arrives. 
של רבי זכריה החריבה את ביתנו, שרפה את היכלנו והחלטנו לבין האומות. The statement is, ironically, in a chilling statement of רבי יוחנן, it was the piety or the modesty, the anava of Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkulas, the individual who said, let's follow halacha, what are people going to say, what are we... Which brought forth the destruction of the Mikdash. Now it's harsh and it's difficult, the same way it's harsh and difficult to plant the destruction of the first Mikdash on Gedalia, the individual who was leading us and staging the next growth. In this circumstance as well, each of these, however, are a reminder to us in a very chilling fashion, in a haunting way of Hasidut miscalibrated, wrongfully thought out, not understood <clears throat> based on its consequences, but only based on its surface level decision. The truth is, the Gemara in Masechet Bava Metzian Daf Lamed Amud Bet Rabbi Yochanan as well, the same opinion who says that about uh, Zechariah ben Avkulas, that it's his anvana, anvitanuto shel Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkulas. The same opinion says that's what destroyed the Mikdash has a statement in Masechet Bava Metzia in which he says that the reason the Mikdash was destroyed or Hareva Yerushalayim, I think are the words, is because Am Yisrael didn't go lifnim mishurat adin. Now, the general interpretation of lifnim mishurat adin is we weren't pious enough, we weren't mahmir enough, we only followed the letter of the law. That's the general interpretation. Ben Yehoyada, in fact, Ben Ishchai's interpretation to that Gemara, he suggests we may have had more grave sins, but God would have looked the other way if we were going above and beyond. He would go above and beyond. Alternatively, maybe the proper understanding, maybe an alternative understanding of that Gemara is along the lines of this, to be lifnim mishurat adin sometimes in a scary way and very difficult to determine. A lot of iyun, a lot of sensitivity, a lot of forethought and afterthought in every action that I'm doing and deciding to do and decided to do. The lifnim mishurat adin sometimes means not doing it or doing something that would initially appear to be wrong based on circumstance. That's the lifnim within the shurat adin, the line of the law. I'm not on the line of the law. I stepped inside of it in order to get into the system and to carefully uh, parse out what's appropriate and what's not. We don't determine based on the action, uh, just by its initial appearance, just by its first glance, knee-jerk response to a situation. Instead, it's incumbent upon us. It's our responsibility to look into the matter, uh, to, 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 to put a certain surveillance in our own mind and life to determine, was this, is this something I should be involved in, or alternatively not so, based on my vision, my understanding of consequences. Like I say that the example you were giving, the alternate Harakamel for Eliyahu, told Eliyahu goes... Indeed. Again, Harakarmel Eliyahu, the Gemara Masechidivamot, makes clear it's et la'asot. It's a very pressing situation. And it's for that reason that to go and to, and he won't, to that extent to say, well, let's start doing Averot Lishma, we won't go that far. But what we will say is, We'll say we need to appropriately determine. So even if we're not per se going to be talking about objective sins, 
At the very least, we're going to talk about when to abstain from something above and beyond, when it seems and appears to be hasidut based on the base level, initial appearance, uh, to be able to... The example we just gave, isn't that an Aver Alishma? Like if he would have just given the Korban, isn't that an Aver Alishma? Yes. I pretty much said that. At Lasot, yes, we're going to have circumstances of such, indeed. I think this one's a little harder because it's Zechariah, it's Bikuach Nefesh. It's not like, okay, it's it's even from the decision making. Understood. 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 Wait, it seems like there's silence. We don't hear a counter-argument that there's Bikuach Nefesh. Are we hearing in that dialogue? No, but that's, that's the point. We all died. What was his decision? What, 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 what's the alternative? Zechariah ben Avkula says, we're following the halacha over here. What's the counter? Why Savu Rabbanan otherwise? Bikuach Nefesh, that's clear. What were they thinking? Another example, the Torah commands us that you should surely rebuke a person who's transgressing, a person who's sinning. So a person's in the midst of, in the throes of sin and doing wrongfully, and you're going to get up in their grill and give them musar and tell them that they should be doing it differently based on personality, based on situation. If anything, they're going to push you out of the way and do it with They're going to be more uh, forceful and rebellious in their action based on uh, the audacity of this person getting in my way. There's, and everyone's familiar with this. There's a very careful and sensitive line between uh, rebuking another and understanding this is not the right. In such circumstances and similar to those, uh, it's, uh, the sechar in such a situation would be shetika. And so to the Gemara Nevamot says, It's an obligation to say what will be heard, but it's just as much so to abstain from saying something that won't be heard. There's detriment, there's consequences which are negative. It's clear to all that we should be running to perform a mitzvah. Any mitzvah, and to be involved in those who are burdening themselves and their time in engagement in that mitzvah. Sometimes it'll bring to quarrels. So we talked about familial fights as a result. We talked about personal um, conflicts in such a circumstance. He gives a mamash kedusah situation. He gives a midrash. Sometimes the mitzvah can lead to more bizayon through your overzealousness, the fact that you're so keen on performing it. Kachamru, for example, he gives the exa- this situation from the Midrash. Uh, it was well aware to the Levim that anyone who carries and deals with the Aaron through the Midbar, well, that's the greatest reward. To be able to carry the Aaron, to be able to come close to the Chota Edut, uh, who, who wouldn't want that? They would, as a result, explain the rabbis, leave the other um, carrying utensils or utensils that needed to be carried, the shohan and the menorah and the mizbahot of the mishkan. They'd fight with one another who gets to carry the aron. 
and by so doing bring forth Hilul Hashem instead of Kiddush Hashem, bring upon themselves Onish instead of Sachar. In short, what Mesilat Yesharim is um, setting forth for us masterfully here in this Perek on Mishkal HaHasidut is the care and the utmost sensitivity that each of us need to have before engaging in a Hasidut circumstance. He'll be careful and remind us when it comes to a letter of the law situation, mitzvah or avera, as uh, we were discussing, there might be, and he won't address it over here, anomalies. There might be a etlazot, a real pressing situation. But generally speaking, when we talk about mitzvot and averot, we do the mitzvah, we abstain from the avera, almost irrespective of the circumstance. When it comes to hasidut, when it comes to that lifnim shurat adin circumstance, when it comes to determining, well, this is something that I know is right, even though it's not a black and white circumstance, you know it's right to whom and under what circumstances and in what situations and in what context, that's what needs to be taken into account. That's the ayun, that's the mishkal, that's the mahshava that Mesilat Yishayim is beginning to explain to us here in this perik. We'll continue with this next time. Baruch Adonai Amen. Amen.